This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. This week's episode of Play by Playcast is with a guest that's a little bit different than anyone we've had in the past, and I'm super excited about that. Episode number 132, welcome back in. Thanks for the subscribe, the stream, the download. If you do have a second, throw a rating or review our way, a couple of stars on iTunes or however uh, you're tuned in to this podcast. My name is Joel Godet, and this is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, prospects, experience, stories, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. And for the first time, we have a broadcaster whose primary language on the air is not English. Rafael Hernandez Brito joins us this week. He is the Spanish voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Cleveland Browns. And arguably one of the biggest, not arguably, inarguably, one of the biggest Spanish radio and Spanish broadcast voices in America today. He is not only broadcasting for the Cleveland Cavaliers and for the Cleveland Browns, but also in his career, um, in some mix of past and currently, has broadcast the Final Four the World Series, the Super Bowl, you name it, he's been there. And uh, it was a joy to sit down and talk with Rafa this past week when the Cavaliers came to Indianapolis. We'll cover his entire career, his absolute joy for this industry, how he wound up in broadcasting, and how he wound up in America as well. He's originally from El Salvador and came to America in his teenage years. We'll touch a little bit on uh, his introduction to sports and to broadcasting and his first experiences with it before he ever came to America on this podcast this week as well. Awesome conversation. So glad I got the chance to sit down uh, over some coffee with him earlier this week. It is Rafael Hernandez Brito here on This Week, episode number 132 of Play by Playcast. Well, you know, I, I always loved sports. I always practiced them, and, and uh, you know, I came to the U.S. when I was very young and, you know, went to college, and I was looking for the regular normal life I guess and you know got an engineering degree couldn't work on my field so I got a sales job I was doing well I excel in it working for went from the distributor to the brewery but at age what was it age 31 I was making very good money but I wasn't happy I wasn't learning and I just one day I didn't want to go to work and I just decided to, you know, that wasn't for me, and decided to follow my passion. I, I always, you know, I always sat in front of the TV and, and criticized everything I, everything I heard on the on the TV and whatever every, every everything the guys were saying. So you know what? Let me go try and see if I can if I can do this on my own. And and I don't regret one second. I, I regret the fact that I didn't do it earlier than, <laughs> than I did. But it, it it was just a matter of finding a way to finding something that I would want to do every day, you know, and, and I, I found it. What's the what's the path when you're 31 years old and you say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I know you went to the Connecticut school. Um, mm-hmm. What did what, what did you do, though? I mean, how do you how do you at 31 when you've got life and responsibilities and, it, and it's different than when you're coming out of school 
Uh, what was your your tack toward, hey, this is what's going to get me here to be successful? You know, I wish I could tell you I had a plan. <laughs> but my only plan was trying to find something that I could do every day and be happy about it. I didn't want to go to work. I wanted to be, I wanted to be happy at what I was doing. So I'd be lying to you if I said I had a plan on, on I'm going to do this, like a five-year plan. I knew that what I was doing to start was not going to be the end of it. You know, I always had the attitude of just finding my way around and, 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 and you know, seeing what, what, what's up there. And I, obviously, I knew I wanted to be a play-by-play announcer. I knew I was, I, but, you know, luckily enough, I got to start doing that in New York City, which is unbelievably amazing, right? And, and it just went on and on. It, it was a matter of just being at the right place at the right time for me, just really being lucky, being in New York, being in a market that was growing. You know, the Hispanic market was growing at the time that I decided to go into it. And I started answering phones at a show that the Univision radio station was had at night. And I just went in there and I knew the person that was the host. And I just, you know, one day they put me on the air and then, you know, I said, you know what? I like this. And I was doing St. John's men's basketball at the time. So I knew people in the business. I just hadn't had that moment yet, that, that moment that I said, this is what I want to do. And, and, and when I decided to do it, it, it was just, you know, diving in head, head first and just not worrying about where I was going to be at at what moment in life. I just wanted to do that. And that, that was really the, the decision-making process. It wasn't really a plan. <laughs> how'd, you get, how'd you get good? And how'd you get good fast to, to move up those ranks and... Just what was the approach in terms of learning, being a sponge, uh, taking in everything you could? You know, my first, I I was lucky. I had a a lot of people give me advice, and I received advice from people that I admire, like Joe Bach, that's probably the reason why I'm a broadcaster. You know, um, I always tell the story that in 1988 I was in college, and I saw him call the Kirk Gibson home run and I was like man I w- that must maybe because that's exact what came out of his mouth is exactly what I came out of my mouth or what I was thinking at the moment you know I couldn't believe what I was seeing okay Gibson in one leg hitting a homer off of Eckersley and back you know fast forward 10 12 years after that I meet him at a broadcasters association and I sat down with him and I told him about the story, and that was probably the the the, the moment when I decided, you know, this this is this, I made the right decision. This is what I'm gonna do. But again, it was just just getting advice from people. You know, Pat Sommer one time told me, you know, don't ever say number 51. You know, 51 has a number. You know, the numbers are for the fans. You're supposed to know the names and. Another good friend of mine told me, you know, just be yourself on the air. Don't try to be somebody else. Because if you could be somebody else, you'd be in Hollywood and not, not behind a mic. So it, it, it was just still a process every day. You know, preparation is something I found out early in my career that was what separated me from everybody else. And I always admire, for example, you know, I always admire Bob Costas and Jim Nance because they, they 
they never marry themselves to a sport. You know, you could see Jim Nance doing every four years the Masters, the Final Four, and the Super Bowl in one month. And I, that's one of the that, that was one of the ideas that I had when I went in. I didn't want to just be a basketball announcer or a, or a football announcer. So, you know, little by little, just collecting collecting thoughts, collecting advices, collecting you know, watching a lot, watching a lot of TV, and, and just learning. That's one of your dreams still at this point, too, is to do the Nance. You, you just need to add the Masters, and then you're there, right? Yeah, that's the only thing I have. That's the only thing, because I, I, at one point, you know, I'm doing the, the Final Four this year. The last three years I've been doing the Final Four. I have done the Super Bowl, and, you know, the Masters is the only one that, 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 is, that is evading me. But again, you know, going back to what you were asking me, it's my first experience looking at game notes. I realized that everything is there. Everything is given to all the broadcasters. It's just a matter of how good a storyteller you are and how you prepare for that story every night and, and, and try to make it exciting. You know, Aside from the fact that you might be calling a game, you know, on the radio it's different because you have to make it exciting, and those down by 20 in the second quarter are the ones that we... I went to school with calling the Nets in early, to, early late 90s and early 2000s before they went to the finals, you know. Current 2000s, it's all the same, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the Jersey Nets, it was... A, that was my, my really my, my learning class, you know, because it was... It, it was on the radio trying to make it exciting, trying to have a story every night. And, and, and just so you have... To, to take away from yeah. what, what what you're calling, which is a 20-point deficit, you know, early in, early in the first quarter, or like you know, like a, so that 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 one that was one of a, a, I don't want to say a rude awakening, but it was a very good awakening to realize that everybody had the same tools in the industry. It was just a matter of how much I was willing to dig into that booklet that they send you every Wednesday for the NFL games or, or every night for the NBA game or, you know, in college it's a little harder because you got to do a, little, a lot more research on your own because the game notes are probably not as, back then, I'm sure now they are, but uh, they were not as, as fluid as the, as the NBA notes or the NFL notes. So that, that was one very key moment in my career when I realized that it was up to me to be as good as I wanted to be because everybody had the same tool. What's most important when you open up that packet? Uh, what do you gravitate toward um, in terms of what you need to know most? And then, I guess, in terms of talking to guys, too. I mean, I know you've talked a lot about the fact that you're... One of the things you loved about doing the NBA Finals was that like you got to see what went into it with the Cavs all season, and you, you start to, to love those guys and follow those guys. So... Um, Beyond the game notes, too, when you're talking to guys, like what are the most important things you need to know so that you can feel uh, best equipped to tell those stories? You know, it's different when you're working with the team because, like you say, I've been, I was with them all year long, so the story gives you so much to go back to the rematches, especially with the Cavs and the Warriors for four straight years. You have so much to, to, to go from. But like in the NBA, in the NFL, when I was doing the national games, it's a little harder because you're disconnected. You, as much as you want to follow on the news and reading, you're disconnected from what's really happening on, in, you know, in, in the team. So you got to come up with a story. And, you know, the package contains so much and every team has different 
it's not a standard way of giving the notes. So for me, the first time, the first thing I look is the stats. And then I go into the personal into into the personal bios for the players just to find a story. There's always something going on, you know. Back in the day, when Marshall Lynch was wearing his shoes, and, and you know, I, I was um, I was lucky to call the uh, the undefeated season of the of the Patriots and uh, that Super Bowl when the Giants beat them. So there was a lot to to go on to go around. But the stats and just a way to to be able to. To pick up the personal side of the story, because I think I, I've learned a lot that the fans want to know more about just the football player or just the basketball player. So that you know, especially now with the podcast era, I think that that has lent that's a, provided the fans a lot, a lot in terms of like outside of the lines. You know, I used to, I, I started producing the, the road tripping podcast with, with Channing and, and and RJ, and, and and one of the things that I discovered was that the people love learning a lot from these guys that had nothing to do with basketball because if you take the if you take the skill away which is a big skill <laughs> they're just like us you know but you know the brothers the fathers the the cousins the husbands so it that the, the personal side is always a good touch to have and it's always like in football is it, again each game is different because in basketball you still got to prepare but it's not much time to to go into and storytelling and and, 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 and and things like that. But in football, you got to be ready, you know, because you know the guys that are going to be called, whose number is going to be called up uh, many times, so you got to have a lot more on those. But then you get, you know, the Super Bowl. That I mentioned the, the the undefeated Patriots, you know, with the, what's his name? David Tyreem, that was the only catch he made all, all year. And all of a sudden, he's making the most crucial catch, so you got to have something on him. Yeah. So it, it's it basically... Just being able to to bring that human side and the story side aside from obviously what everybody wants to know is the catches, the points, the shooting percentages, and all that. Fifteen straight Super Bowls this year, or is this year sixteen for you? I will not be in the Super Bowl this year unless the Browns pull it off and the, and the, and the Colts and the Colts and the, and the Titans do it. The traveling is a little difficult okay. since I started with the Cavs. Uh, I missed the one. I, since I went with the Cavs, I haven't done one because the traveling has been really difficult. Okay. The first year that I was supposed to do it, you know, the, the, the job with the Cavs is my full-time job. It's the, my priority. We were, in, we were in Minnesota, and there was a big storm coming. And the, the, the Super Bowl was in Arizona, I believe. And there was no connecting. There was no direct flights. I had to connect to Chicago, and in Chicago there were already like four-hour delays. <laughs> so my the, my football career had to, taken a break until the Browns came knocking this year. And and I, you know it, I love calling football, and and uh, I, I wish. To, my dream would be to call a Super Bowl where the Browns are in it because I think that would just be <laughs> unbelievable. You and a lot of other people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I had to, I got to experience the, the fan base yeah. and, and the Cleveland fans are, are amazing in that, in that sense. They have suffered a lot and obviously the title with the Cavs brought them a lot of, a lot of relief. But I, everything I hear is the fact that if the Browns make it to the playoff, they're gonna they're gonna be flipping cards upside down, which I hope not. But but uh, you know it's like that that would be just um, incredible if, if if I can go back to the Super Bowl and and, and call 
but you never know. You might make me a phone call, and uh, somebody somebody gets a, a Wally Pitt phone call, and <laughs> somebody else can't make a connecting flight. Yeah, and then there exactly. You go. So I can make it. What uh, what's it like? I mean, to call the, the amount that you called, um, and obviously call moments like the David Tyree catch, um, or going back. I mean, couldn't, would you have called the the Rams? Titans Super Bowl or is that, am no, I going too far? How I far back am I going? What was the I, first I, one you called? The first one I called was the uh, the one in Houston okay. when uh, who was that? That was the Eagles and was that Eagles and Patriots? Yep. Yes. So that was the To game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's that? What's it like? What is a Super Bowl like? What's an atmosphere like? What's it like to broadcast it? What are the juices? Just give me the. You know, it's Super Bowl is a big mess. <laughs> Tuesday media day for us covering the game is probably the most dreadful day because you really don't get anything for you broadcast on that day. I remember the first couple after like the first couple of Super Bowls, my boss asked me like, "Hey, how come you didn't send anything?" Because I. I went because I just wanted to see what was going on, but there's really nothing I can do. Everybody, everybody that is not covering the game is there. My coverage begins tomorrow yeah. when we go to the team hotels. So, you know, media day is a mess, and, and then after that, it is that day of the year where I always say to myself, like, I can't believe I'm being paid for doing it because it is the biggest event in the, in the, in, in the, in the sports world. And... Covering the Super Bowl has been amazing, and I have been lucky to have been for some major, major, you know, I was there when, when uh, Roethlisberger threw to San Antonio Holmes. I called Drew Brees' first Super Bowl, Peyton Manning's first Super Bowl, that halftime show with Prince, you know, purple rain and pouring rain in, in, in Miami. Um, the second victory for the for the Giants over the Patriots, and you know in that that Super Bowl in my again everything is it's blown up bigger. Any play is just bigger, you know. In in the Super Bowl in Miami with the Bears and the Colts, with this, uh, Devin Hester starting the game, returning the kickoff for a soup for a touchdown. I almost lost my voice because I couldn't. I, you know, I, we're all in this business because we're fans. Anybody, I. I I hate it when people that are in our side or this side of the mic say that they don't root for a team or they're not fans because, you know, yes, we are. We're all fans. And I always chose to be honest with my audience. Like, I am a, I am a Yankees fan. I am a Jets fan. But when I'm calling the game, I'm calling the game the way I see it. it you know, it's not like I root. I call it like if I was a, a Jets announcer. But, you know, people, I know some people that like to say, no, I only root for for my national team. I, I don't have a team. We all, we're all in this business because we love sport, right? Because we either wanted to be an athlete or because we always dreamt of calling or being on this side where we are. So I think when that moment happened in Devin Hester, I had nothing to do with the Bears, but it was just Amazing, you know the light, the flashes were still going on, and also suddenly David Hester is running up the right side, you know, scoring a touchdown. So, the Super Bowl is amazing. Everything that goes around it is bigger. You know, back in the days when I was with Univision, I had to do some work with TV as well. So the work, the workload is, is, is unbelievably bigger than a regular Sunday night or Monday night football game. But it's great. It, it, it is something that again I would do for free. Don't tell anybody. Yes, I don't say that. <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. But it's it, it is the Super Bowl. Is, the only thing that compares to that is calling the finals for the Cavs because it, it was more personal. I I learned, you know, for all these Super Bowls I did, 
and the World Series when the, when the Astros won it, I had no nothing invested in it other than my job. I went to do the game. I saw Drew Brees lift his his Peyton Manning, Ralph Roethlisberger, you know the Giants. It, it didn't really mean other more than other than it was my job to do to be there. But when the Cavs won it, it was just blown up to beyond words because it, it was something that I had spent every day watching these guys work. And and first of all not being able to pull it off the first year because of injuries, because of the Warriors, because of whatever you want to call it, but it hurts. And those are the things that I learned. You know, John Michael, who is the voice of the English side, I remember he was there. He's been here with the Cavs before LeBron came back. So they, he went through all that process of losing and, 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 and trying to develop and rebuilding. And... He used to tell me, like, don't take it too personal. You know, it, it, it happens. I know, but it, 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 if I didn't see the guys work so hard, and then I would say, you know, they have a comment to them, you know. But they, everybody works hard in, 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 in pro sports. It's just, you know, not everybody has the talent and not everybody has the way to put it together. So it, the losses are a, a lot harder. The, win, the wins are a lot more delicious. <laughs> And that's all it is, you know. It just, it just, it, it's difficult, but it's fun. Personal rooting interest aside, um, obviously, because I know you're such a big baseball guy too. Being a Yankees fan and growing up in New York and having gotten to call the World Series, what from the spectacle of it is the most exciting of the major events? Final Four thrown in there as well. Like, what do you, what do you, what's most satisfying to you, personal side aside, um, to be a part of? It, you know, they're all different sports. The Super Bowl is a one-day event. It's a one-game, you know. All, all. World Series is like a three-week immersive experience. It is. Yeah. It is. It, but, well, for us working it, it's a two-week thing, especially when they take that week off before the Pro Bowl. You know, you're preparing and everything. So, But it's, it is one game. The NBA, it's a, the NBA baseball is a seven-game series. The, yeah. the NCAA, it's, it's a tournament, and you, you, you keep building up. They're all big. They're all amazing, you know, scenarios. They're all amazing scenes, you know, that's the NCAA playing the big stadiums and, and everything. But the Super Bowl, it, it, I think it, it's, just, it's just above all of them in terms of the spectacle, in terms of... of if, you, if you put together the audience worldwide and, and especially like something that I knew from before I even came to the U.S. You know, I knew, I didn't even know what what football was, but I knew about the Super Bowl, you know. It's, so I think the Super Bowl beats them in, in, that, in that category, but they're all um, a big thing, a big event within themselves. The World Series, I love. I mean, I've been watching baseball since I was 10 years old and, 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 and it, it's an event that maybe because it's such a long game, doesn't doesn't feel like as big as the Super Bowl or as big as the M- M- NBA Finals, yeah. but the NBA Finals have become a big spectacle too. You know, it's just the fact that it's the same guys going to the final all the time. So I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm allowed to complain now. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny being on both sides of the fence now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let me pull things way back if I can. Let me like 
I feel like I jumped the shark here a little uh-huh. bit. Let me go to like the very beginning here because we talked about you wanting to get into this when you were 31 years old. Um, but you came to America when you were 16, 14, 14 15. Yeah. 15. So like, what did you know of, and maybe this is just an ignorant question because I like, but mm-hmm. what did you know of sports announcing growing up in Central America? Um, and like, was it a thing that you knew of or were aware of or what was the presence of it in your life as a child? Oh, I knew I knew about my soccer team announcers you know, back home but I didn't know much about you know, the the ones that I got to learn eventually uh, or maybe I did but I didn't know their names you know, back home we used to get the reason I became a, a Yankees fan was because the first World Series I ever watched was in 1976 when the Red Sox when the Reds sweep the Yankees, you know, the big red machine. And when everybody tells me, oh, you're, you're a fan of the Yankees because they only win, well, I became a fan because they got swept, and I love Thurman Monson. That, that's the only thing I remember, number 15. And then, you know, they won 77, 78, and they didn't win again until 96. So don't tell me I only root for the Yankees because they, <laughs> because they win. But uh, I knew, you know, soccer was it's obviously the energy, but I never call a soccer game. It's funny enough, never. I don't see it the way they call it in Spanish, you know, and I, I always thought it would be weird for me to call a game that I don't, I don't know. I, I, why, I, why is that? What, what, I, don't what see do it as, see? I don't see it as fast as they call it in Spanish, you know, the, the way they call the game. It, it, I see it more the way they call it in English, and, and I, don't think, I don't think people would like the, the change of pace. <laughs> how do they... How do they, how do they call a game what's the way you would describe what you're what you get in a spanish broadcast of soccer because i know i've read too that like you don't want to call basketball like it would be a soccer game because there's yep. like this there's this idea of what a spanish broadcast is to those that don't listen to it often and it's this like you it, mentioned high energy somebody yeah. scores a goal well, you go nuts more than high energy is the fast energy you know i don't see the game of soccer as fast as they call it on the radio and i know on the radio you gotta call but it, it to me it's it just too, the pace they call it on is not the pace i'm watching and the, the only the only my only job as a broadcaster, is to call the game I'm watching. I'm not. I'm not supposed to put any anything extra into it. I, whatever comes out. That's why I hate when I go to do an interview and they'll say to me, you know, can you do a, a LeBron James dunk? Like I can't because I don't know what's gonna come out of my mouth. I, I just I'm telling you what I'm watching, you know, and and I don't see it the way they call it. Although there are some. Broadcasters that I, like in soccer broadcasters that I love listening to, you know, there, there is a there's a big, there's a famous call by uh, an Argentinian broadcaster about the the Maradona goal in the in the semifinals of the 1986 World Cup, which is considered the best goal ever, and he call, he nails it because but it's the speed that he gets he gets it right, but it's not all the time that the game is that fast, and they, you know, in sometimes in Spanish uh, broadcast section they they call every game like that they call boxing like that boxing is more of a conversation than a than a than a blow by blow you know baseball is more of a conversation basketball yes is is up and down but it's really not you know you it's more you get a chance to describe and i think a lot of the time it, the bounce pass or the behind the back gets missed just just to try to be 
you know, on the radio, you don't have to be right on the play. You know, you can you can take your time to describe what you think is important for the person. And I always say to myself, and I, I tell my girlfriend all the time, can you please, if you listen to me, close your eyes and then stop it and then tell me if you tell me what you think the ball is. That's how I know I'm doing my job. You know, I, that's how I listen to myself. I, I turn on the sap on Fox Sports Ohio, and then I close my eyes, and then I pause it, and I try to say it, try to see if I follow what, what I'm saying, and I see what the ball is, because that, that's my job as a, as, as a broadcaster, to put you on the, on, the, on the floor, right? To put you right on the stand in the front row. And I don't think speed and pace have anything to do with that. So that's why I, I, don't, I never found myself. And also, you know, to be honest, there were a lot. There was a lot of broadcasters that were only doing soccer, especially here in the U.S. That's probably the sport that was the first one doing broadcasting in Spanish, and it was everywhere. Like in New York, there was a lot of baseball sportcasters. So that you know, it, it took my time to do the baseball, and there wasn't much basketball or a lot of boxing, and that's how I started with boxing and, and, and basketball. But again, I just I don't see it the way they call, the way most of them call. It. Yeah. What is it about goal calls that, like, and, and home runs for a while, too, because for yeah. a while it was the adiosa pelota. Um, like, what is it about those those moments that, that are, I mean, they're obviously so exciting on English broadcast, too, but I feel like everyone loves the Spanish call of it. Yeah, you know, that's a very Hispanic way of celebrating a goal. And, and you know, Andres Cantor, who's the guy from Univision now on Telemundo and Football de Primera, he's the one that made it popular here. And everybody thought that he's the one that like that was his his signature call and that is the way the calls the goals are called everywhere in latin america go and that's what you do in the playground you know you score and you go running and the reason you run the reason the goal is so long because the guy who scores is running go and obviously in 19 what's it 86 86 or 90 when he was calling the foot the 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 the, the walk-up for, for, for Univision when it became popular here, that's when he started, that's when he became popular with the, with the goal. And, and he does a great job. He's one of my favorite broadcasters. But it's not his signature call. Everybody that grew up in Latin America from as far back as you want to go, from the beginning of radio in Latin America, the first guy who was doing that was saying, goal, you know. Obviously, some of them make it longer, some of them add and another adjective and everything, but it wasn't his signature call. He, he, he brought it to the U.S., let's say, that, let's put it that way. He brought it to the U.S., but yes, the energy is great. I don't think when you call a touchdown, you're supposed to go touchdown. It, I don't, it doesn't go with it, you know, because <laughs> it doesn't. It does, to me, it doesn't go. But there are some people that do it, and hey, if it works for them, again, that that's what comes. That what that's what comes out of their mouth when they see the touchdown. Or that's what. That's how they react. Hey, it's good for me. It doesn't. It doesn't work for me. But you know, it, it is what it is. I don't mean to like genuflect too much with this one, mm-hmm. but is it? Did you ever take a step back and think about? Um, where you came from and where you are now and kind of how you've in some ways become like a voice or, or at sometimes the voice of sports to the Hispanic community um, in many parts of the country because of the magnitude of the events that you've called uh, repeatedly over the last 15, 20 years. 
I and is th- that cool? I think about it every day. It, oh, it's cool, very cool. I love, I love, I think about it every day of, you know, especially where I come from. I come from a, a war-torn country. And, and when people ask me, you know, if, do I miss my country? Yes and no. You know, I, I miss it because obviously that's where I was born and I have friends that I grew up with there. And no, because from 9 to 15, I was basically locked up in my house because of the war. So I really didn't have that part of my life. And then coming to New York and feeling liberated, you know, it was, it was just, I, I'm a New Yorker. I always tell people I'm a New Yorker by choice. You know, I chose to be an American and I love this country more than anybody or as much as anybody as you who were born here. And I owe everything that I am to this country and, and I think it is just amazing that the, the, the United States have provided me the chance to to, to bring the sports to the community and, and, and now you know it's a growing community and I think it, I love the fact that I am the one to bring people to these big events and I have been lucky enough to, to do so but I think about it every day I, I, I thank God every day for, for this country I, I thank God every day for the opportunity to to do what I do, you know, I mean, in Indiana, calling a basketball game, you know, <laughs> how much better can that get? And and, and and winning and losing has nothing to do with, with, with the fact that, or, or, or with, with the excitement. I, I called the game tonight as, as, as excited or, as, or the same way I called the game when we were winning, you know, four Eastern Conference titles in a row. So it's, back to your question, I think, I think about it every day, and I take it as a responsibility too, because I represent the Hispanic community. I, I represent the Hispanic community not only in my community, but also outside of, of you know, in Cleveland. I, I always say, you know, I want to make sure that people don't, not only see us as Hispanics, but also see us as, as a part of the community. You know, cause we, you know, the Hispanic community, we're doctors, we're policemen, we're janitors, we're, we're teachers, we're everything. We're part mechanical of, engineers. Yeah, mechanical engineers. We're part of the community. And, and I think that's part of the, the, especially with what's going on, you know, nowadays with, with immigration. And, and, and it is definitely a problem that we have in the U.S., but obviously the ones that we're here and, and have come to this country to contribute. It, 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 we're, we're part of the company. We're part of the community. I mean, we're not just a community. Let me ask you too, um, and go back to the nine to fifteen part of your life, if I can, um, because it's something that we we don't deal with in in this country because that's just it's never happened here in anyone's lifetime that has been born and bred here. Um, what what's it like to to be in that type of political environment, war-torn environment, how has it shaped you, too, now, as you look back on it, as the type of person that you are um, since you've come to New York and America? You know, it's definitely horrible. It's nothing you wish to anybody. It, it, it luckily to me happened when I was a kid. I don't know, you know, you probably get a different answer from my parents, you know, having kids and being involved in the middle of the, you know, the guerrilla war and, and, the, and, the, and the army. And unfortunately, the civil war just get a lot of people caught in the middle. And how it shaped me, I think it just really made me grateful for what I have. Because you know, I know I had a lot of friends killed. I know a lot of people that were killed. You know, it's it's it's. it's I always tell this story as a kind of funny way, but if you think about it, it's not. Whenever there was a World Series, we used to come out, and you would see kids back in back in El Salvador. Whenever there was a World Series, during that time, you'll see kids with a with a mitt, and it's not like back then. Now you probably do, but back then it wasn't like you could go to a store and buy a ball. 
it was like somebody had a baseball. I mean, we were playing with a real baseball. So we would play baseball in this sand lot. And I will never forget, we, nobody wanted to be the catcher, obviously. So, you know, it was like a, a wall was the backstop. And we would play from the wall all the way up. And we saw a couple of armored trucks loaded with soldiers going from right to left on the on the on the on the on the highway on the road was just like a little high from the sand lot and all of a sudden like ten minutes five minutes later we see soldiers running the other way. And it's unfortunate but at that time the normal thing is you hear bullets starting to you know twist so you just lay down. You know, you go down on the floor because there's, there's a shootout going on. And it was that they were ambushed by, by the guerrillas and they were running away. And literally, there was a big, I don't know what caliber it was, but it, it was a big bullet that landed in the wall where you used to use, we used to, they used to, as a backstop. So after it happened, again, it become, it, the unfortunate thing that it becomes a normal thing to do, but that normal happening, there was a shootout. So five minutes later, Everybody is back to normal, but the, the the funny, sad part of the story is that that bullet hole in the wall became our home plate. Because it was like if he landed on the bullet hole, it was a strike. You know, late, later on in the in the next few days, and I always tell the story, and I think about it. It's like that. It, it's sad, but it's also funny because we it becomes part of your life. You could be in a supermarket. And all of a sudden, you hear a, a bullet come through the window or a bomb explosion, so you just hit the floor and wait for it to happen, to go, to be over, and then you get up again, and then you either you finish shopping or you go back home, and and you know, so it it's that was my childhood, and then when going back to when people ask me, you know, do you miss El Salvador? I, I don't, you know, I don't I don't miss the part where I don't know if I'm gonna be at the wrong the wrong place at the wrong time, and it really. I always say El Salvador came up short to me. It didn't offer me an opportunity to, to become who I wanted to be or who I could be, and, and the U.S. did. And that's why, you know, I love this country to death. If, if, uh, if, if there was a war between the U.S. and El Salvador, I'll be in the first line of the U.S. with, <laughs> with, with my weapon ready, you know, because I owe everything I am to this country. I'm sure it also, and not like this is like a totally different scenario and situation but again it goes back to you said hey i'm working in um you, you're working in the beverage industry yeah. um after um you graduated from college and then to hey make that decision you know what i'm going to do something that's going to make me happy probably a lot easier to do that when you have that perspective yeah you know i again back to your question of how it how it shaped me i think it was that it was, i wasn't i wasn't scared I wasn't afraid. I, I was worried. I, w- I was unsure of what was going to happen. But I wasn't... I've been through worse things. You know, I, I have... Again, it, it, it's... I've seen worse things than than being out of a job for six months or, or taking a risk or, or maybe unemployed for a while. So, yeah, I think you might be, might be onto something there. <laughs> you know, you might have helped me a little bit, maybe unconsciously, but... It for sure shaped the person that I am now. That I appreciate life a lot more because I've seen it, you know, taken away in, in different ways. And, and the the biggest thing I have is that it take, you know, I'm the I'm the youngest one of four, and my oldest brother Carlos is six years older than me. 
And I remember, you know, when, when you're 11 and, and your brother is 17, it's a big difference in, in, in life, you know, your friends and what you do. But I remember him being in high school and Friday night, Saturday night, getting ready to go, you know. And then when we got, when I got to that age, you know, at 15, you don't understand when your parents, my parents were very strict, thank God, and about going out. You know, I have friends that were, were allowed to go out, and my father, my parents would be like, nope, you can't go out, you don't know what's going to happen, because there were a lot of bombing and a lot of shootings. And I I was mad more than anything else that I, that was taken away from me, you know, from, there was a, there was a, a long period of time where there was a martial law where you, nobody could go out after 6 p.m., and you couldn't go out again until 6 a.m. So some people will have like martial law parties and everybody had to come into the party at six, before six, and, but we weren't allowed to sleep out. So it, 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 it made me angry, the fact that they took a lot away from me and I had nothing to do. A lot of people ask me, what side were you on? I'm like, I was in the middle. I was a kid. I, I had no idea. I didn't even know what they were fighting about. <laughs> you know, it just, it's unfortunate that a lot of, a lot of people had to leave the country. And a lot of them, you know, most of them didn't have the, the luck that I had, that, or we had, that we had a, a set of two ants here that could take us in and, and, and really, you know, make the sacrifice to, to help us out. And a lot of people, you know, did, but, but you have to run out, for, you have to run for your life. You do whatever, whatever it takes. Yeah, you have a martial law party just... Seems yeah. interesting on face value. <laughs> uh, I, if I can bring it back to something lighthearted as uh, we wrap things up, because I know we got to let you go uh, eat breakfast here. Um, but uh, a couple quick questions on broadcasting um, mm-hmm. that I'll fire at you. You mentioned off the top uh, guys that were your idols growing mm-hmm. up. Um, and I'll, I'll just phrase it kind of more directly, but like, who, who did you most look up to and, and why? What, what, what was great broadcasting to you when, you when you found American sports when you came to America on the radio? You know, there's different people. I thought that I would follow, that I wanted to be like Bob Costas and Jim Nance, you know, doing the Olympics, doing the golf, doing the Super Bowl, doing basketball, doing everything. But when I got to meet the, the nicest person I ever met was Joe Buck. And Joe Buck, can you imagine, I'm a year into the business and I run in, I'm in a table with Joe Buck, uh, Miller from, uh, John Miller from uh, the San Francisco Giants, Pat Summerall, in the same, in the same conversation. And they all, I tell them, you know, I'm a, I'm an aspiring broadcaster. So they start telling me, giving me advice. So I always admire those, those crew. I love, you know, the combination of, uh, John Madden and Pat Summerall, you know, you know doing that. That's probably the first, the first team of, uh, of football broadcasters that I remember, you know. But I, I didn't really have a, a mentor or somebody that, you know, that really took it upon himself to, like, to help me out. But I had a lot of people that I, that I watched that I wanted to be like. And I, and I think Jim Nance and Bob Costas were the two that I... I when I started, I was like, I want to, I want to do what they do. I want to be able to do, and luckily, I've been able to do many sports. Obviously, not at the level that they have, but hey, I can be my own Bob, <laughs> my own gym. <laughs> the other thing we like to ask people a lot of times is, um, from a self-review standpoint, because it is such a business where um, you work to improve upon yourself every single day. How much do you listen back to yourself and uh, try to figure out what you did, what you didn't do, what you liked, what you didn't like? Oh, I listen to myself every night, every game. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky that I have 
the ability to watch it and listen to me because we are my my broadcast is on SAP. So I, I'm able to go home. I tape every game, and I'm able to go home and watch it. You know, John Michael t taught me something that I didn't, I wasn't doing when I came to the to the to the Cavs was to put it on my phone and listen to me on the radio. I get a lot more. I like to see what on the TV on the screen just to see how I'm. Again, back to you know, see if I'm putting my my. So I'm, I I listen to myself almost every game and, and try to come up with, with different ways of, you know, maybe I'm do, using the same word too many times or, um, you know. There's, there's always those things that you get, you fall victim of, that you use the same adjective or you use the same way to start or to finish a sentence or you, you, the tone of voice comes down and so I, I every night. It, it, is, it is a work in progress, you know, all the time. You, we're always trying to get better. I always say, There's always people that are willing to do it for less and, and willing to do the work. And, and so you always have to be trying to get better. You always have to work hard and nothing is for certain. I, I pray every day that I keep my job and that I have the energy to, to get better. And, and I don't pray for, you know, for big moments or, or to, to have the call that everybody's going to be listening to. I just, I, just, I, just, I just wish that every day I get a little better or I, I learn something from the game. You know, I, I, I try to listen a lot more than I talk when I'm, when I'm around people that know basketball because even though I played it all the way up to high school and I obviously haven't played it at this level, there's always stuff that you think you know. And it's not like base, baseball kind of teaches you every day more than, than basketball. You know, basketball is more just learning the, the way that each team is it, running offenses or defenses and everything. Baseball can smack you in the face every day, even if you've been at it for, for 10 years. You know, you always see something that you haven't seen in a while. So, yeah, I, every day I think it's a, it's a, it's a work in progress. I, I'm, my, I'm my worst. I'm my best critic. And I try not to listen to the to the positives, and I try to listen to what people tell me. You know, sometimes I talk too fast. Or, you know, my father always says you're screaming too much. I'm like, Dad, that's how I watch the game. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know, but you you get too excited. I'm like, but that's that's me watching the game at home, except that I have the mic in my in my hand. You know, so it, every day. Final question. Uh, I saw an interview where. Somebody asked you to call the play um, mm -hmm. on the spot, which I know you said it's always tough to do, but you used the word alley-oop. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, uh, and it could be any sport, doesn't have to be basketball, um, the, your most favorite word that there isn't a good translation to Spanish for um, that just pops up in English that catches somebody's eye that's listening. <laughs> you know what it is? It, people, people find amazing the fact that In baseball, in Spanish, strike is a strike, but a ball is a bola, you know, and an out is an out. There's no, there's no translation for an out in baseball, and in baseball, I, I, I don't translate most of the, like touchdown is a touchdown, you know. In the positions, they do have names in Spanish because we play, but people, when you play football in Spanish, you know, the quarterback is Mariscal de Campo, the tight end is Lala Cerrada. But a touchdown is a touchdown. You know, there's no, there's no translation to it. Yeah, and it, it's, it's fun. In basketball, yeah, in basketball, everything has. It's, I don't know what alley-oop, because I, back home, nobody was doing alley-oops. <laughs> you know, I was the tallest guy. I was the, I was the center back in my high school and then in El Salvador. And then when I came here, I had to become a, po a point guard or a shooting guard. 
I was the shortest guy in the team compared to being the tallest guy back home. So I never even know what an alley-oop was. I don't know what it's called in Spanish. So I use the I use alley-oop. It's Spanglish lends itself a lot to to especially to my audience. So my audience is most bilingual for the most part. So you know it, it's. The, 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 I'm not doing any disservice to them using English words, but yes, you know, the, it's words that, that don't that don't have any translation. They pick and roll. You know, it, it, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I. I'm sure there is a word for it. I'm sure Alvaro Martinez, if he's listening to this podcast, he'll tell. He'll he'll email me and say there's a word for it. But I don't. I mean, one thing I don't do, and a lot of people do in the Hispanic side, is translate the names of the team. Okay. I don't do that because they, you know the the Cubs are the Cubs, you know the Cubs. But instead of saying the Cub, the Chicago Cubs, I say the Cubs from Chicago because in Spanish, you know, it goes the other way around. A lot of people choose not to. A lot of people choose to translate the words, but a lot of them don't have like the Browns are not the Browns because of the color, yeah. you know. So they're not the cafes. You know, they're the Browns of Cleveland, you know. So I don't translate the names, but I do some, you know, in football, the positions are translated. But, you know, shotgun formation is an, it, it has a translation, so you, I use that. Uh, I'm trying to think what words that, that I have that are... But, it's, you know, the funny thing is that, to your question, is that there is no translation for touchdown, for strike, or for an out, but there is translation for a ball... Or for being safe, or for it, or for home plate, is, you know. So, well, uh, <laughs> I guess the translation for the way to end this would be gracias. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's been it's been awesome to sit here and pick your brain a little bit. Um, so glad that you agreed to do it, and uh, thanks again for uh, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me, and uh, buena suerte. So good luck to Ball State and everything you do, man. Rafael Hernandez Brito is our guest on episode 132 of Play by Playcast. You can find him on social media at El Alcalde Rafa, the mayor in Spanish. And hopefully I pronounced that right. El Alcalde Rafa is his Twitter handle, E L A L C A L D E R A F A. Many thanks to uh, Rafael for sitting down and, and, and doing this conversation because you can hear the passion he has for what he does. I mean, loves what he does and it oozes every pore in his body and it was so in a lot of ways refreshing to just sit across from him and experience that uh earlier on this week so again many thanks to him uh for taking that opportunity and and diving into not just the broadcasting stories of it but i mean think about using like holes in a wall caused by weapon fire as home plate Growing up as a kid, you know, playing baseball or stickball uh, in the streets. Like, it's just something that is, in a lot of ways, like, incomprehensible. Like, how do you wrap your head around that if you've never experienced that before in your life? Um, so I appreciate him diving into that side and, uh, and sharing those stories and experiences as well. And next time you listen to a game, just know that pick and roll is English and Spanish. Same, same thing. <laughs> I actually like it was funny um, when I was in Brazil for the CrossFit Games regionals last year. It was during the NBA finals and I heard the, per the, the Portuguese version of the broadcast on television and like every here and there. And that, that's why I was curious to ask that question at the end. Every here and there, there'd be like one or two words that you would just seem out of place. Like, I, wait, really? That's the same in Portuguese and English? 
All right. Cool. Um, again, many thanks to, uh, to Rafa. Fun conversation, different conversation than we've had on the pod before, and uh, one of the reasons I, I loved uh, being able to do it so much this week. Uh, we'll take a time out until next week. Happy holidays to all of you, and uh, we will be back uh, with an episode on Friday. Robert Ford will be our guest, uh, the voice of the Houston Astros. He will be here next week on PXPCast, our final version in 2018. Thanks, as always, for your continued support and listenership, and look forward to what 2019 has to bring. Until then, my name is Joel Gadet, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.